Hey, Michael. How are you doing? All right. Hey, Kai. Calling all the way uh, in from Italy. That's right. Greetings from the Venice, the whatever it is, the city <laughs> of canals. I don't know what they call it, but uh, I'm in my first time ever here. I'm not here for the Biennale or anything like that. I'm just happened to, uh, I'm, I'm on a post book printing high. Uh, we just last week I was on press with, uh, the SPQR editions folks, Thomas Roma and Anna Roma. And, uh, we printed six books. Tom's new book, uh, we used to be, the project used to be called Mondo Kani. Some people know it as that, but now the book is Plato's Dogs. And uh, then we printed the five SPQR books, uh, which includes my book. So um, I walked out of there on Thursday with uh, uh, what they call an F and G, a folded and gathered uh, sheets version of my book. Basically, the signatures just folded down and stapled and a folded over version of the cover. So Yeah. So, I mean, first, congratulations. And Thank you. Yeah. yeah, this is the first run of SPQR. And, and just to be clear... Tom's book is not part of SPQR. Um, they just they it were is not. printed. Just, they just happened to be printed at the same time because right. he wanted to be on press to oversee his book. No, that's that book is being uh, put out by Powerhouse Books. Powerhouse Books, right? Yeah, uh, I mean that's that's pretty exciting. Oh, it's amazing! Yeah, Look, uh, more to come. Uh, we've got uh, an event planned for like a launch of the books in. Uh, in Manhattan and probably some other th- other venues going to be happening soon. You know, writing a postcard and tell us where you want to have an event and maybe we'll show up. <laughs> a traveling roadshow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and, and uh, sell these books. And I think we'll do a show for the launch as well here on the photo yeah, show. Yeah, that'd be perfect. I think. Yeah. So I mean, exactly. it's you. Get everyone on. It's myself, Dennis Santella, who was a guest, uh, Stephen Hilger, who's a future guest. Jeffrey Henson Scales, another potential future guest, and uh, um, who am I leaving out? And Yoav Horesh. Yes, uh, who's former also guest. On the show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're we're doing pretty good. Yeah, that's right. Um, Tom published on Instagram uh, the the covers and some pages as they were being run off the press, and they, they all look fantastic. Oh yeah, we printed at uh, Graphica C's. That's S-I-Z. Uh, it's in a little town just south of Verona uh, called San Giovanni Lupitato, where there's a lot of printing uh, presses, high-quality printing presses are in that area. But we worked very closely with uh, Sara and Nicola, who uh, sort of tagged and were run the place. Uh, it's a family business. Nicola's father started it, and his brother also works there. But uh, they were amazing. They have a pretty active Instagram account, which I just followed. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I think uh, what was happening is everything that we were posting, they were downloading and reposting, too. So it was like, they're going for it. I uh, represented the two of us, and I, I uh, gave your regards to Sasha Wolf. She had uh, the closing of her gallery last night event, a little uh, private party. Out in the backyard, I assume, right? Yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, she had... Uh, closing event in her backyard, and it was you know friends and and folks who are represented by the gallery. Um, Eleanor Carucci was there, a former guest. Oh, of great! The show. Yeah, it was really nice. What about Stephen Hilger? Ste- yes, Stephen Hilger was probably there. Stephen came. Yep. Paul McDonough was there. Oh, uh, nice. And of course, I'm hesitant to start a list of people because I'll forget. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so sorry. Yeah. And a bunch else. of other and a bunch <laughs> of other great people. And the rest. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm sorry I missed it, uh, but um, uh, you know, Sasha had a, a great place there, and uh, we had a wonderful conversation with her. So I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it, listening to it again. Right, and I know I had announced that uh, Leo Rubenfein's episode would be next, but uh, we decided because Sasha's closing was last night, it'd be appropriate to play her episode because she also reveals some of her future plans in this episode. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. And, you know, she's she's not going away. She's not getting out of the business. She's uh, changing her model of the business. Absolutely. So, well, it was nice catching up with you. And congratulations again to you and, and everyone else uh, on SBQR. And, of course, Thomas and Anna Roma. And, you know, we know Anna was uh, the backbone of this operation. Oh, absolutely. And she was... Uh, dogged on press making sure that everything was of the highest quality there was a couple of times where tom and i were like yeah that that's you know that's good that looks like you know that looks like a great translation of of the the photographs on that page and anna's like no 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 we can (laughs) it can be just a little better and so we'd run off another couple of you know iterations and sure enough they got better nice very nice All right, so when do you come back? Um, coming back on Wednesday after we go to Milan. Uh, we're stopping off at a camera store that people who listen to the show might know. It's called Me Camera, which is in Milan. It's a well-known photography bookstore. They also uh, host workshops. I know that um, a number of photographers from America go over there and, and work with them. So we're going to buy and show them the books and, and see the, the fabulous bookstore. Oh, that's great. But you're starting to break up a little bit. So uh, enjoy the show, everyone. Perfect time to end. (laughs) See you soon. We're here uh, with Sasha Wolf, right above uh, Sasha Wolf Gallery, and uh, we're delighted to be here at a great transition moment for Sasha, and we're hoping to have an excellent conversation about photography, being a gallerist and a dealer, and um, and uh, where everything is now and, and what's going on with you. So uh, I, we thought we'd just start off just going back a little bit. Um, one thing that you have in common with a lot of the other uh, people we've had on the show is uh first getting bitten by the photography bug by having a camera given to you as a young person, right? Gosh, I mean, I guess, of course, it, I could see someone getting into this in other ways, and we know that there are people who get into it from collecting, but it does seem like, you know, being a practitioner, you know, makes a lot of sense. You know, I, it took me probably about a year after I first um, opened the gallery to realize that people used to, I actually went from um, making photographs to making films to having the gallery, and people used to ask me if I miss making films, and I think for like a year, I would just say, you know, it's funny, I really don't, even though I loved it, but I, would, I, I guess I used to just feel that, uh, the work of being a gallerist was so stimulating, and I just just love being challenged and busy. So I guess I figured that that was why I didn't miss it. And then at a certain point, I realized that having a gallery and putting up exhibitions does feel like you're making something 
And so I didn't, I wasn't missing that either. Yeah, it satisfied the creative urge. Exactly. Like my artwork was the gallery, you Mm. know, and creating this, this place and, you know, what that means I could go on and on about because I, I think it's sort of multifaceted. But but yeah, it was there was never really a a point of, you know, any sort of feeling of loss or lack of satisfaction. You, I just, you never stopped while you were in this gallery business and said, Oh, I should be making films. No, I right. never I've never felt any sort of loss of anything that registers in any way that is significant in any way. So, of course, I'm aware of the fact that I'm not yelling action and cut, and you know, I'm aware of the fact... <laughs> Can't you stand you in know? the middle of the gallery and just do that? <laughs> I, 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 I think I probably do sometimes. Some, some version of that, um, that the, the dictator in me continues on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there are little things you miss, but a sort of... I never... I mean, the, the, probably the most simple way of putting it is I never lost any sleep over it. And just going back around to where, where I started, it, it's really hard to miss something when you're, you know, so busy and challenged and stimulated by something else. I mean, it's just, you know. Yeah, And I know you have uh, future plans and things coming up, and we'll talk about that. But is, does this feel like a, a bit of a somber day, or will tonight feel a little somber? So... So I'm closing the, the exhibition space. Right now it doesn't, and I'll sort of, we can talk about why. Um, but, but I th- you know, I'm sure next week I'll, I'll you know, have some mixed emotions. Um, right now I, I, I know that for me the model, the gallery model, isn't working. And so I have, I, I go into this new um, chapter with much more confidence in what I'm going to be doing day to day than I actually do right now. So, you know, I have a feeling, when I made the decision to close the exhibition space, um, it was hard getting to that point, but when I made the decision, because I knew it was so logical, I just felt so relieved mm-hmm. that that's where i am right now i sit here just feeling very relieved that's always a good sign right? yeah. yeah you've made the right decision yeah uh yeah just to give listeners a, a bit of a background is uh <clears throat> before you opened the first gallery space in tribeca you converted over part of your apartment to be a gallery space and yep. you were for like four almost five years you were selling work and people would come in and not even realize that was your apartment because right. you had it set up as like a right. mini gallery and so the this period of time where you've had three gallery three different gallery locations was in a way you're you're going to be transitioning back to a, an idea of not having that exhibition space but i think a lot of and maybe you'll, you'll speak to this as well as a lot of people understand the fact that most of the, the actual deals and the selling and all that goes on behind the scenes it's not people walking off the street and picking photographs off the wall and, and buying them, right? It's not that kind of a retail uh, activity. So the the exhibition space, and I think it's that's great that's the way you're describing it, is 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 extra. It's like this other thing to help you have a voice and help you, you know, be able to talk about the work and the, and the work of your photographers. But it's not an essential part of the business. No, I mean I 
I refer to my exhibition space as the nonprofit part of right. <laughs> part of the whole setup. So the the people who come in to see the exhibitions and the people who buy work have no overlap. Right. So I do two things. I curate exhibitions and then that's sort of a gift to the artist and the public. And look, I'm being, you know, very sort of black and white here. Of course, it's important to, you know, build your reputation. You have to have, or historically, you've had to have a gallery and put up great shows. And so, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, a lot of more subtle reasons why it, it, it's important. And, but for the most part, it's, it's an offering to the artist and the public. Then, then there's the working with their clients, which happens. People who buy work do not, they, they call and make an appointment. They're not just walking in ever. Mm. So being a gallerist is selling by appointment, right? <laughs> you, yeah. you are a private dealer. I mean, that, you're private. When, you, when you're a gallerist, you're basically a private dealer and you run a nonprofit exhibition space. They, they're, they're different. My clients, and I'm not, making any sort of judgment about this, you know, this is just a, a fact. My clients, more often than not, when they come in to look at work that they're interested in, don't even notice the exhibit that's up. Mm. They walk in, they walk right through it to the back where they're going to be coming to see me, the back of the space or the showroom upstairs right. where we're sitting now. So those increasingly, for me... Those things have become so separate that that enabled me to get to where I am now, where I am rethinking everything about how to participate in this industry. You know, the more, the more sort of polarized those two communities, you know, became the viewer and the buyer the more I, you know, the more clearly I could see that I needed to really rethink this whole model because unless you're, you know, really independently wealthy, that's not sustainable. It's also psychically not great. Like, it, it, it doesn't feel great. I remember, I mean, I read, because I remember your, the Leonard Street Gallery. Yep. And um, my favorite space I, that was an amazing space, and um, and there were you did a number of interviews at the time, which I recently reread. And you talked about how that move from your the private gallery space to now having this public space that you you really wanted a place that was street level where people could could walking by could see the work and you know that it would spill out onto the street and there'd be this social aspect to it. And um, and you know, I think your current location, same thing, it's like not hidden away, you know, on the eighth floor of a building somewhere, but, but out where, where people might stumble upon it and come in and have those conversations. And uh, when we were speaking uh, a few weeks ago at uh, the opening for your current exhibition, Sasha Rudensky's show, you mentioned that you weren't having the conversations that you thought you would be having by having the exhibition space, that not as many people were coming in and, and actually talking to you about the work. And so the part that was exciting for you, that social aspect of it, wasn't wasn't as wasn't getting it as much right. Hope, that, right. That's that's right. And I don't, I don't. I know I don't know all the reasons for that. I know some of them. When I was on Leonard Street, 
it wasn't a busy street, so you sort of were coming to find me. Um, and we did have walk-ins, but I don't know, down here on the Lower East Side, it's definitely different. Even though people are sort of gallery hopping, I mean, I get a lot of weird behavior now that's the behavior that I consider odd or whatever it is, I can certainly say it's not satisfying for me, is becoming the norm, and that's not an exaggeration. And that is people coming in, photographing the work, and not looking at it. Yes. And then leaving. This has become so common. It's it's more important that they share they were there as opposed to looking at what's on the wall. That's right. right. So, you know, the way it used to work is that the longer someone was in the gallery looking at work, the more likely it was that I would approach them to have a conversation. Um, not because I was trying to sell them, but just because I, I, right. I clearly, wanted to talk. You clearly, know? I just, clearly they were engaged. Right, in exactly. <laughs> so I was like, this person's going to be fun. you know. Right, yeah. Or if someone was standing in front of a piece for a particularly long time, I would yell out, like, yeah, that's a great photograph, isn't it? Just to let the person know hey, we can talk. I know that most galleries, they don't want to talk, but I actually, as (laughs) everyone who knows me knows, I like to talk. I wonder if this neighborhood kind of skipped the real sort of, um, you know, artistic residency period, different from how Soho got it, how Chelsea got it, how Williamsburg got it. I worked and lived in this neighborhood for many years, and it it seemed to have jumped from, you know, being, being the Lower East Side that a lot of people know from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s to a much more commercially viable space very quickly than the other neighborhoods did. I think that that's absolutely true. So there's a lot going on. I have a jewelry designer, a little jewelry shop on one side of me, and a fabulous, very high-end um, boutique on the other side of me. But I, I also, I think that, I think the world is in such an incredible period of transition right now, and we are alive and in it, and it's hard to sort of take note of all of it as we're in the middle of it, but I think that we cannot overemphasize what a period of change we're in right now. So the fact that people come in when they're under a certain age and photograph the work without looking at it. They're just looking at it through the iPhone or whatever. looking to see if they made a good picture of it. That's right. That's right. And they don't ask if it's okay. And I'm not, it is okay. So whatever, I really don't care. But the assumption that that's fine, which I think, you know, is made because how can it not be fine? This is how they live and breathe, right? right? This is totally normal. So, you know, I think, you know, like I said, you know, we're in it. We're, we're sort of like the, you know, we're the frogs in, in the, in the, the pot water. water. That's, up, yeah. that's right. So now that, that obviously has extremely negative connotations, <laughs> you know, because the end of that, that little uh, fable is death. But, right. And I don't think that's true. Maybe I mean, I, we'll evolve to uh, well, look, survive. Be satisfied <laughs> in the hot water. I, yeah. Well, I think that a lot of great things are coming out of the technological period that we're in now, from healthcare to communication, and you know, and uh, anyway, it's not my area of expertise. But 
I, I think it's basically very positive, but I think that there's a lot of traditional businesses and a lot of traditional everythings that are, are trying to figure out how to adjust. I mean, sometimes I wonder how anyone is going to make it with a physical storefront in the age of the internet. I mean, you can, except for restaurants, nail salons, hair cutting places, I mean, these places that, that you have to go into, right. but everything else you can just do, you know, online. And, and I think, you know, th these are the things I think about now when I think about my next steps is, you know, how to incorporate today's reality into the things that are interesting to me to do with my life and, and make a living. So, and I, I'm, I'm not fully there yet. I mean, I know that I'm transitioning in some ways back to the private dealer model, but my plan is actually to do, you know, what I hope will be pretty ambitious and loud in terms of being recognized exhibitions in, in spaces around New York City and in other cities. So that... So like the pop-up show kind of model? Yeah, or? my feeling is pop-ups... Like right now you say pop-up and it's sort of... I mean, it's certainly not exotic, but it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not... It still sounds a little outsider. My, mm. my guess is in a year, pop-up is going to be totally normal. Mm. Because... Well, yeah, I think there used to be a slightly negative connotation because... Most of the pop-up shows I can remember, it was the artists themselves or something. You know, it's like a little bit of a vanity project, right. which would be different than what you're proposing. Right. Is, you know, that you're going to be staging these shows and uh, having them be these events, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm also thinking now about doing shows that are not just... So I'm going to continue to represent my artists, you know, but um, and, other, and more artists. And I mean, you know... In a way, my day-to-day -day will not really change much. I mean, I won't be, you know, doing X amount of exhibitions a year like clockwork every six, seven weeks, but, which is actually good because I don't think I had, I don't think we were always ready, you know. I don't think every show was, was brilliant. So I'm happy to not have to do one every six or seven weeks. But for the most part, my days will be the same, which will be trying to sell work, working with my clients, working with my artists on new bodies of work, getting things edited, discussing book project opportunities, editing book projects, going on press. I mean... Right. You just won't be coming in to lift public, up the shutters. That's right. And, right. and because I haven't been having very good interactions with the public... Lately, I, I just don't think I'm going to miss that. You know, it's, it's interesting because this is, it's similar to how you develop relationships with photographers and the kind of work you want to show. This, is, this isn't you saying, oh, I hate technology, I'm giving up. This is, this is you saying, this is, I want to do this. How can I do it in a way that I'm still going to enjoy it? And, and how am I going to do it in a way where I can still have the relationships with the, the photographers and the clients and people the way I want to have those relationships? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I... I hope that, you know, I'm, I'm someone who, when faced with certain challenges, is able to sort of find uh, a new model and, you know, or even just a new way of life. I mean, when I realized when I was making films and working in that industry that I was spending, you know, most of my time trying to raise money for one of my projects at that 
that's what I was doing. I wasn't actually making work. I was trying to raise money. You know, when I realized that and decided that was just not the way I wanted to live my life, it, it was really easy to, 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 you know, move on. And, you know, now I think this model doesn't work and I'm moving on. Like, I, I mean, I, I think it's important just to, you know, it's not that you want to go through life in a way that's passive, but you certainly want to be riding the wave not, you know, fighting the wave, mm -hmm. you know, so um, I, I hope that's what I'm doing. And, you know, I, I'm lucky because I also not that we all want to make a good living, but it's not a huge motivator for me. So you want to enjoy that living. I really do. It, right? I really yeah. love having a good time. <laughs> yeah. <you> know, so. <laughs> but, but I think it also ties into something that came come up and up again when people were talking about the gallery. And it's certainly the way I thought about your space is that people mentioned that it ha it felt like it had a real point of view, right? That, you know, you go to see one of your exhibitions and there's, there's an expectation that there's a certain type of photography and work that's going to be on the wall. In a way, the, the shows you're putting on, you're advocating for the photography that you like. So, you know, it's one of the downsides of if you were only a dealer out of your, you know, making backroom deals or working out of your house is that you wouldn't have that opportunity. So by being able to put on these pop-up shows or whatever we wind up calling them, that's a way to still make that happen and still like advocate for the kind of work that you think is important and, and get that in the world. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the sort of byproducts and you know, the real sort of benefits of not being as focused on... Now, look, I'm... This is a privilege. I'm, I'm afforded this privilege because the way my life is set up, I don't have huge expenses. So I'm, I'm able to sort of act a little bit more like a 20-year-old this mm -hmm. way. But, you know, one of the great benefits of that is I can show what I love. And, you know, a lot of my colleagues don't have that luxury. They, they have to really, you know, sh they, they have to be more client-focused. Um, I'm not. And I do have, I don't want to say so much a strong point of view, but there's a certain type of work that I really love and I really believe in and I think is in peril. And so... Under siege might be a little overstating it a little, but if I had a few beers, I definitely would have said under siege. Shoot, we should have had those beers. Um, so, you know, I I really love standing up for that type of work. It's it's a real pleasure. Uh, in fact, I'm plotting. Uh, you know, we'll see if I can pull it off. I'd probably need some funding, and probably need to put this under some sort of nonprofit umbrella, but. I'm, I'm plotting a really big show for, we'll see how fast I can pull it off, but will really be um, an answer to the abandonment of the type of work that I love, I think we all love, which is, you know, what's called straight photography, descriptive photography, po documentary, post-documentary, whatever you want to say. But I, I think the camera is an amazing tool that's great at capturing some aspect of the physical world. And together with a great artist, someone who's able to then add some of their point of view and inner life, that creates work that 
I'm really, really interested in. And I think that there are a lot of great people right now who are, who are making that work, who are not being heard. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, I have a modest intellectually idea for an exhibition I want to do. It doesn't have some dense conceptual um, framework, but I think it would, would, would be a really nice show and um, will actually be big in, in, in size. Always prodding away. Yeah, we'll <laughs> definitely keep a lookout for that and make sure everyone knows about it too. Just to go hand in hand with that, uh, I want to talk a little bit about this transition. So when I was at the museum school, uh, I went there for photography, but I also started doing film and, you know, shooting 16 millimeter films and editing them on the Steenbeck and doing this whole thing. Exactly. But uh, wait, it, for, for, for those of you who couldn't see that. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sasha just like right, raised put her hands her in the air. Up, yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh, but the thing that became clear to me as having to sort of make a choice between being a photographer or a filmmaker was you mentioned raising money. Of course, there was the budgetary concerns, but there was also the fact that you needed a lot of people usually to get things going, right? Whereas as a photographer, you could just walk out the front door with your camera and, and hopefully stumble upon something. So you wound up, you were making photographs, you know, in high school, and it got you into this creative field. And then you switched over to filmmaking. And we should mention that, uh, a short film that you wrote and directed was went to Cannes, right? And uh, it was nominated for a Palme d'Or, which is amazing. I think you're one of the few gallerist dealers that you can find on imdb.com, <laughs> right? With uh, writing and directing <laughs> credits. Uh, but then at, at this moment where you got exhausted with realizing that you were raising all this money, that's there was this moment where you decided, wait a minute, photography, and I... Have yeah. this great friend Peter K. Office, yeah. and, and what was that moment? How did that? Yeah, that was come very about? strange. I feel like when I tell the story, it's so simple and odd at the same time that it seems unbelievable. But this is really, absolutely, um, what happened was that I I had been trying to get this feature made for a number of years. I had a producing partner in L.A. and. Oh my God, when I think about the amount of hours that I put into trying to make this happen, I can't say I want those hours back. That's such an odd thought, but it was a lot. Um, so at a certain point, I just, like I said, I, I felt like this cannot be my life. This is so weird. I love making things. I like doing things, not like I'm not doing anything. I, I can't count trying to raise money as being some, you know, Thing I'm doing. It's just so weird. <laughs> um, and it was hard. I mean, it was hard to give up that particular pro. There were two films that I'd written, one a feature and, another, and one another short that I was, I mean, if you told me tomorrow I could go make them, I probably would. Like mm. I, you know, when I, when I used to write and then the period after writing, if I, if the script, you know, if you lock the script down, if you, after 3,000 rewrites, um, <laughs> you know, I used to shot list my films, so I would start imagining them shot by shot by shot. It's very hard to give that up, right? Yeah, because you've brought it to life in your head, and you're dying to actually bring it to life, you know? Mm. So, and I was a film geek. I mean, I, I could just geek out. I, <laughs> I mean, I would watch, like... My favorite filmmakers, like I would watch films over and over again, pause, 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 rewind, pause, rewind, just to see like, 
you know, what a com what combination of shots, you know, Hitchcock was using in Rear Window to make me feel a certain way or whatever. So when I when I did realize that, you know, I felt I was starting to feel like I was wasting my life, um, which is, I know, <laughs> simply put, how I felt. I, I realized that I was, so I shot in, uh, in high school, and then I, I, I was still shooting, uh, making photographs in college, even though I wasn't a photo major, but I took, I had, you know, Jan Groover, Jed Devine, I went to purchase, so. Oh, great, yeah. They were there, and then there were these amazing film teachers. I was actually a writing major, but at Purchase, you could just do, you know, yeah. you just took, it was amazing. It was like, yeah, it was just an incredible place. But I would always use film books to show my cinematographers, my DPs on films. Like, I would just uh, post-it note pages. Like, I, this is the way I want it to feel. This is the way I want that shot to look, because it was just so helpful. So I was always looking through photographs still. Right. And um, so, yes, I, I had and have a very close friend who's an artist I represent, um, Peter Kaofis. And I started sort of getting more and more in dialogue with him about his work and helping him work on edits. And I realized that I was just, you know, felt like pr pretty, that this was something that I was pretty good at. And... So when I was winding down, you know, really wrapping my brain around, you know, not, not making films anymore, I asked Peter if I could start showing his work. I was going out to L.A. a lot at this point, and um, he said yes. So I started, I was sort of like a vacuum cleaner salesman, <laughs> except I had these photo, I had these big bags that were made for carrying photo portfolios, oh, yeah. and they were really big. They, they actually <laughs> held like boxes that were bigger than 2024 20, wow. and like three inches deep. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah, um, you're pointing to those boxes now. I still yes. have yeah. those, <laughs> the, that green one I used to. Anyway, so I started just taking the stuff out to LA and going around to like People I knew who had a lot of money, had a lot of wall space, were really familiar with visual language because they were in the industry. They were filmmakers and television people and whatever. And I think I sold like 50 photographs of his like in wow. a year, a year and a half, which is is a lot. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, you know, and a photo dealer was born. Right. And that, <laughs> that's what happened. I mean, it just, it was so organic. I, I, had, I had a moment... You know, one night, and I actually remember this really well. I don't remember that many things, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I really remember the night that I sort of I couldn't sleep. It was probably about three in the morning, and I sort of popped up in bed, and I had an idea of this thing of being a photo dealer. It just sort of, you know, and it's so funny because now I tell people when they're thinking about switching careers, I say to people like, "What worked for me was that I didn't press it." And it just came to me, like your, your subconscious will provide, mm. you know, you know, if you're pressing too much in your, in your conscious mind, it sort of, sort of clogs things up, but I just sort of let it be and it came to me and I, I got up out of bed and I, I went to my computer and I went online and I, I Googled art dealer because I didn't really know what it meant and and then I, I called Peter the next day, and I was like, I think this is what I'm going to do. Hmm. And he was like, I think you're yeah. crazy, but <laughs> good luck. 
And um, yeah, so it was really organic. I never worked in a gallery. I didn't know anything about packing work, about writing up invoices, but I knew what I loved. I was very confident in my ability to talk about work. And I knew I loved being around the work so much that I wanted to give it a, a shot because, you know, if it went well, I'd probably be really happy. You still have to be, uh, you know, somewhat forward thinking and, and, and looking, you know, uh, looking out, right? I mean, because you can also grow very comfortable in a miserable job and, you know, kind of think, well, I guess this is it. I've never right? had a job. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it also speaks to the fact that coming from a collaborative medium like f uh, film, that you've always... Uh, wanted to represent, you know, emerging and mid-career photographers where there is going to be that collaborative element where you're, you're like, of course, um, a great example would be Paul McDonough, right? So Paul McDonough, this amazing photographer who before uh, he came to your gallery was well underrepresented in the world, right? We, he didn't have as many exhibitions. Now there's two books of his out, thankfully, uh, one of which uh, you published, and hopefully we'll talk about that a little bit more too. But here's someone that had you know, decades worth of work and that uh, you got to work really closely with him and help him you know, have these conversations and, and edit and, and you know, be someone who could, he could bounce ideas off of. And uh, from other artists I know that uh, work with you, that's that's really your model is that you want to not just be the place where they can come and hang up uh, prints or that you can sell their work, but that you want to have that kind of relationship with the artist as yeah, well, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, part of it is because it's a lot more fun and part of it is just pure ego. Like, mm. I, I think everything's better after I've been involved with it, <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Well, come on, that's the kind of gallery person you want, right? <laughs> and my artists will tell you that I, I, this is absolutely true. And I, uh, for better or worse, that's how large my ego is um, in this area. So I, I don't like it when my artists are too far into a body of work without my being involved because I, I, it's so much harder to undo and it's, it hurts them, you know, and I don't, you know, hurting people is obviously an awful, I mean, anytime I have to tell my, I have artists who think I'm tough. I, to me, that's hilarious because <laughs> anytime I have to tell one of my artists something that I think might hurt them, I have to take a shot of whiskey. That's <laughs> totally true. That is sometimes more than one. Of course, because, that means when they see you getting the whiskey bottle out, they get well, nervous. Well, I do it before they arrive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but it's so hard to tell someone. I mean, I try and do it in a way that obviously keeps one's confidence intact, but sometimes it's really, it's really hard to tell someone that the work's not there yet. But it, the earlier I'm involved with something, you know, the less chance there is of that sort of day of reckoning. It's, it's more likely that I'm sort of like pushing and pulling and kibitzing and giving my thoughts along the way. And so, Together, we're sort of getting it where it needs to be. I mean, and that is, I am a huge believer in collaboration. I mean, I, I could give so many examples. I tend to give the same example over and over again. But I, I'll just say that I, I had so many moments working on films where film is, the whole process is 
collaboration is baked into the exoskeleton. So you don't say to your costume designer, I want my main character only in black. If, If they say okay and walk away without having a discussion, you should fire them. I mean, that, that, that's not, you want someone to say, okay, why? What are you thinking? Blah, blah, blah. But what about if, you know, they need o- some bright red trim or something? Right. Or, yeah. or, you know, in scenes with, you know, the parent there or the girlfriend or the boyfriend, they're in this color. I mean, there's so many things, by the way, that happen in film that, you know, viewers have no idea sure. about. There's so many choices, palette, you know what people are wearing, what filters are used on the camera, what, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You, you want your costume designer, your production designer, your, your cinematographer, your actors to have opinions. And I firmly believe that in those back and forth, those discussions, those debates, the right answer presents itself. If you have great people to collaborate with, the right answer will. The chances that you'll debate, 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 and come to the wrong answer is very... Hmm. That, 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 that's a very slim um, possibility. The, the, the more likely thing is that you will, you well, know, you'll, you'll come to the right so, answer. I mean, you're coming from that filmmaker perspective, and most photographers come from this perspective. They're used to working alone. They're that's used the to problem. getting it all done. That's what I was going to have. I imagine that's part of the process of who you decide to represent as well, is like, are they open to that collaborative absolutely. idea? No, no, absolutely. And, you know... As I've become more aware of the fact that it's not negotiable for me, I'm much more to the point when I meet a new photographer who is interested in working with me or I'm interested in working with them. I'm, I'm very, very clear about the fact that this is the way I work and it's, it's just absolutely, it, it is not going to change for them. You know, <laughs> it's so... They're not going to be the exception. <laughs> they are not going to be the exception. You know, look... Photography is, there's a lot of traps, but, but the most sort of obvious ones are, you know, it's very solitary, and photographers do this thing where they assume, not all of them, but a lot of them, let's put it this way, they can't separate out the way they were feeling when they made the picture oh, yeah. from the picture. Mm. So I hear all the time from photographers, you know, I love this photograph because of X, Y, and Z. And I have to say to them, X, Y, and Z is not in the photograph. Right. It, it's in your head. This is something we talk about oh, yeah. to our students all the time. It's like, it doesn't, doesn't matter that that's your cousin's mm-hmm. basketball or whatever. Or it's how like, hard right. it was to it, make or the yeah. war right. story. Or, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I'll take that one step further. So that's sort of a very... So that's, that's a concept that they have about the work, what you're talking about. That, that, I don't know how to say this exactly, but I think the more insidious thing is a feeling in some ways. They felt a certain way. And, and all the things that, and feelings obviously are incredibly complex. So, you know, and a lot of times we have a feeling, we don't even know what that feeling is, let alone what just triggered it. So... An artist can be looking at a scene that reminds them of something that happened when they were five, make the photograph, and then somehow to them, they back into it an explanation for it. Everything is so misguided and cockamamie. And as someone who's a viewer is looking at it for the first time, who has 
no none of these of associations. Yeah. It's just a completely, you know, to say these experiences are different between the viewer and the photographer is such an understatement. And so it, it's my job to, to, to say that thing. It's not there. It's not there. It's not there. It's in your head. It's not in the photograph. It's in your head. It's not in the photograph. And I've met only one or two photographers in, in my life of, of knowing photographers who have been able to separate those two things out. But that's that's a savant. That is that is absolutely atypical. And you know, one thing I want to make really clear is this isn't a criticism. This is normal yeah. emotional, you know, brain activity. It is, you know, it's almost impossible to unknow something you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I know, I know. When I have those experiences in the classroom, because we are faculty, we're teachers, and we have to have a we have to have this sort of building up dialogue with the student, right? And you also have to be respectful of those feelings and those emotions, those memories and those personal experiences. You have to walk that line very carefully when you're telling them, no, not, you know, I'm not criticizing you. I'm criticizing right, the photograph. Right. I'm not yeah. criticizing your experience. Right, I'm right. not ridiculing yeah. your experience. Right. I'm just saying this isn't the picture. Right. And I, I'd even take that one step further, which is to say, you know, okay, I hear you. That's not in the picture. How can we, if, if that's important to you and if that's something you want to say, let's figure out how to make sure it is in the, the picture the next time or in the body of work or whatever. So, I mean, you know, so all these things are, you know, that, that's the part of my job I think is the most, you know, satisfying for me. And, and you know, any sort of, look, I love photography, so to sit around and talk about photographs is, you know, makes me really happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you think about it, in the arts, I, it's hard to think of any other, I may be painting, I don't know, it's hard to find these other arts where there isn't a role for an editor, right? That's right. And it's, you, know, you don't expect great authors to be great editors. You don't expect great filmmakers to be great editors. That's so, right. You know, I, I had this experience when um, I brought all my photographs uh, to Tom, Tom Roma, for to edit and sequence my book that's coming out this fall. And there's photographs that I always thought of as like the most important building blocks for the project for me, the ones that like made, allowed me to do the next thing. And many of those, maybe all of them, are not in the book because right. they didn't have a role in this new thing, the right. new structure. Right. So you know, when when a photographer is coming to you, they and you're going to put on an exhibition or you're going to talk about forming the body of work as you know, these 50 photographs or whatever are, are the core of this idea, you know, why wouldn't you want to hand over some of that to somebody else or at least have that dialogue about oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Right? And I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that the built-in editor is should be in every sort of art as far as I'm concerned. You know, in, in, in filmmaking, as we've discussed, there's an editor, back and forth, a collaborator, and all these different crew members, but there's also an editor. There's also an actual editor yeah. who then, you know, I mean, it, it is the most sort of, it's got the most checks and balances, right? But then, as you said, you know, authors, I mean, one of the most famous examples is Raymond Carver, right? right? Of course, that's just who we know about. Yeah. You know, but... but yeah, I've read both versions of the right, stories. Right, yeah, and yeah. They're very different. They're but, very different. Yeah. I know. He was my 
idol when mm. I was, you know, I think, you know, I always feel, and I sort of chuckle about it, that when I see something where no, there was no collaborator or editor involved, it's so obvious. <laughs> like whether it's, I've seen so much bad modern dance because like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was just no one saying anything. And, um, and the same is true for, you see a lot of, of art exhibitions where the gallerist didn't even say anything for whatever reason, and I think there's many reasons why that happens, but, and so you walk in and you're like, what the hell is that, you know? So I can't understand why you wouldn't want to have a strong collaborator. I mean, if it's fear of sort of, I don't know, not being able to sort of take all the glory or anxiety that maybe you're not as great or, you know, we can go back through time and talk about all the, you know, great artists who had very important collaborators. I mean, there are some people who study this, it's their main area, who would say that, ev you know, for the most part, every great artist has had, you know, very strong collaborator and that it's almost impossible to create consistently great work in a vacuum because it's just not the way the mind works. You right. can't be in and out at the same time. It's, it's just impossible. That actually goes back to, I'm sorry, oh, I don't want to change the subject on you, but that's part of what you look for in a photographer as well, the, their ability to recognize who their influences were. Absolutely. Um, and their ability, if you were, if you were to say, uh, there's a lot of uh, so-and-so in this work that the photographer can say, oh yes, you know, I've looked at that work and I've seen, I've been influenced of that work. And, and that, I think that speaks to, why there is such resistance to people admitting that they had influences and mentors is they, they feel like then I don't get the credit or that means I'm not a genius. That means I, I, I didn't just invent something. First of all, almost no one's a genius. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, who's a genius? I don't know. What is a genius? I, I wish, I mean, my belief is that if we all had, you know, healthier egos, stronger egos, the world would be a much better place because I really believe like so much chaos is caused by a certain fragility that mm. human beings generally have. But, you know, if you had a stronger ego, I mean, I'm, I have a pretty strong ego. That doesn't mean I'm an egomaniac or I don't think I am. I think I'm a, a, a nice, warm person. I hope I am. I think I'm pretty thoughtful. But I have you know, I feel like I know what I'm good at and, and I, I feel good about those things. I don't know. I know I'm not the smartest person in the room usually, and I'm okay with that. It really doesn't bother me. Like when I was making my own work, I was really, really comfortable with ripping people off and <laughs> giving, <laughs> giving other people credit. And I mean, I felt like my own contribution to my own work was quite right. significant, <laughs> you know. But, you know, look, I used to um, watch Michelangelo Antonioni films over and over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that there's some... <laughs> it seeped in. Yeah, it, you know, it more than seeped in. Right, you yeah. know, I mean... Well, this is something in a lot of the other arts, specifically, I think, of music, where there's not... There's no ambiguity. People give it up. They're oh, like, it's so great. They're like, you, you know, you can listen to Chris Christopherson and at some point he's going to mention Johnny Cash right. or he's going to talk about someone else that right. came before him yep. that, that had a profound effect on him. And, 
and, and sampling the, today. And there's the visual arts sampling. is just not the same. No, I know, and I don't. I, I don't know why that is. I do think visual artists are a very fragile bunch. <laughs> I, I really do, and I wish there was a way of like you know s- sprinkling some you know magic fairy dust on everyone. And, <laughs> but you know, riffing off of people is a fabulous thing to do, and you know. The idea that you're supposed to always stare at a blank page and make something out of absolutely nothing, that is so, it's like, it's making something as difficult for yourself as is humanly possible. I mean, the film that I made that was in uh, Cannes, it was a short film. The premise for it came from an Uh, anecdote that someone told me who worked in a mental hospital. Are we supposed to say that sounded so weird? Yeah, I think they still call them mental hospital. And this friend of mine told me this little anecdote, and it grew in my head over the course of months. Then I sort of turned it into a story. I mean, I changed it up and turned it into a story, but it was the little piece of sand I think I'm the oyster in this. Yeah. You know? Okay. And, <laughs> and I made the pearl right. out of the piece of sand. I didn't make the pearl out of nothing. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not to say that we don't create things whole cloth out of our mind, but there are so many ways to start and so many ways to work and so many ways to finish. And, you know, I think we need to feel more confident about being expansive and and not worrying about being you know this idea of being a genius and it, this first of all is just so unlikely <laughs> and you know just make great work be respected in your community enjoy what you're doing you know be a decent person live your life and you know you're gone i mean it's we're all it's all so I think the art world does something to artists and they're susceptible to this sort of all the myths that get spawn and yeah. really wreak havoc with the way people work. Absolutely. You want to just to go back a little bit about this idea. The thing I was going to say is that um, rather than even thinking about an editor or collaborators, the artist has to think about an audience, right? So you, you've got to have an audience if it's not just going to be looking at your own pictures in your own room yourself and thinking you're a genius. So if you've got an audience, for example, if some, one of your artists is working with you... By the way, most of my artists will deny that they care about the audience. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's, that is... We could just have that conversation. Right. So, I mean, and you know, that makes me crazy, but... <laughs> That is that is one of the most that's one of those crazy myths mm, that yeah. um, that it's better to just only make work for yourself. Anyway. Yeah, then then you could just open up a museum to yourself. And but be everything done with it. in the arts gets boiled down to one or the other. It's mm. so strange. It's, I, yeah, I, I, I wasn't even aware people were still clinging to that. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Well, well okay. What I was going to say about it is then if if the if you find the right artist and the right artist finds you, then ideally they should feel like you you are their ideal audience and that if they're making work and showing it to you as it's going along, that, you know, what could be better if if they trust 
your your right. Ju- you, I think they that's trust exact, what you, you just, are going to say. Yeah, you know? I think that totally nails it. That's yeah. like absolutely the most. And if they don't, that means they just they merely want someone to put their work on the wall and they're, they're looking, looking for a wall. Right. Yeah, no, no. The first thing we have to do is make sure that we have the same. We we look at work the same way. Like we're enough on the same page that I am that perfect sort of audience member because we're not trying to please everyone yeah, so clearly. oh yeah that's impossible um, yeah have thinking about your audience isn't like some sort of crass commercial sellout it's it's respectful it's it's also part of that collaboration isn't it well you're trying to speak to people who are interested in what you're saying right Absolutely. Yeah. i mean yeah and i'm and i imagine that's also why you choose to represent a small group of people now, right? I think it grew, you initially, well, initially you had Peter, K-Office, and then grew to like six or seven people. And now I just checked the website before I came over, you have 15 people listed, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So you're not trying to like incorporate, you know, grab 50 different photographers and try to just... No, I mean, I, I, the more people I represent, the more I disappoint people in a certain way because I, I don't have enough... I don't have as much time for everyone as I would like or they would like. So I, this is a constant um, struggle for me. Is It's very hard to say no to wor- working with a person, an artist, and their work if I love both. It, that is a really, really difficult thing to walk away from. But it's also pretty awful when one of my artists really wants to speak to me and it takes me two days to you know call them back but i also have to imagine that there are artists who's who you like them as a person and you like their work but realize that for whatever reason whatever their work's about is it's not something that you could sell either right no no that's not a reason i wouldn't work with them oh yeah i don't i can't sell most of my artists Mm. So I, I don't really care about whether I can sell the work or not, um, which is what makes me not the world's best business <laughs> person. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, I, if I love the work, I mean, it's just too exciting. To, I would never walk away from it. No, no, the, the, I say no to people if for a, a few very sort of straightforward reasons. One, if their work is just too much like another one of my artists, so that I'm putting my artists in competition with each other. Right. Never do that. Mm. The other is if I just don't feel like I, it's in my bones, like I totally get it. If I don't feel like I totally get it, I think I will be more hurtful than helpful. And that I live in fear of that scenario where someone shows me work and I don't totally get it, so I give them not great advice, you yeah. know? So I won't work with work if I, if I feel that way. Um, and, yeah, and then there's just types of work that I feel like I get it and I have something to say and I could get in there, but I don't love it, so I don't work with it. Now, look, sometimes my artists wind up making bodies of work that I don't love, but I know they've done the best they can. We've gone back and forth. It's, it's the best it's going to be. So, you know, just to be clear, I don't love everything mm. that's on my website equally. That's completely impossible. impossible. Sure. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, I, I, everyone I work with, I either think has made great work, will continue to make great work, is on the cusp of making great work, something about them that I think is very special. 
And you see it as a relationship, so. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, sometimes I feel like I'm married to 15 people, and sometimes I think I had 15 children. I I was going to say, I don't love everything my child does. Yeah, it it, it goes back and forth. but yeah, no, these are, and I say that to people, I say, you know, we're getting into a relationship, you know, and a lot of the things that apply to these sort of intimate relationships apply here, communication, trust, respect, yeah. you know, openness, benefit of the doubt. If I say something you don't want to hear, give me the benefit of the doubt that I'm not, this was hard for me, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make you better. You know, I'm always... You know, I'm always telling my artists, one of the things I think the art world does is make artists feel like they have to, you know, everything has to be brilliant all the time, and that things have to kind of move along at a pretty fast clip, and I'm constantly trying to slow my artists down. So I'm constantly saying, you know, this is a long game, this is a lifetime, like, you know, not expected to crank out you know, brilliant work every year, right? That's just not realistic. So you don't keep everyone on a timeline and say, this has got to be done now? No, I I constantly tell them to slow down (laughs) and stop telling me that everything is ready when it's not, when it's just the beginning of an idea. I mean, this is my constant battle, is this is not, this is is the start of a project. This This is a jumping off point. This is not the finished project. Now, you can imagine when I say that to people, they want to kill me. Oh, yeah. But, um, but I, it's my job. Like, I, I feel like it's, I take it very seriously that I'm going into people's heads and messing around with their life's work. And I'm doing the best I can to make sure that, you know, at the end of their life, I don't mean to sound grandiose, but at the end of their life, they feel good about what they put out into the world and that it's a good representation of who they were as an artist. And it wasn't just good for the moment that they thought they were done. Right. right. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had an artist like be so over the moon about something and if it were up to them, I'd be showing it to clients and then three months later, they hate it. So mm-hmm. it's like you have to just slow down, mm. you know, sit with things. Uh, well, one other aspect that you're just getting into uh, is publishing. So I thought maybe we could talk about that. Um, the the I think the only book right now is that Paul McDonough book, Sightseeing, which is incredible. I think if uh, you didn't publish any other books after that, that would be great, right? Because that's such a, an amazing book to Thank see you. that work of his. I mean, I like it. I like the first book too. It's great to see that work. This, this was a the, the really good book. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so do you have, uh, uh, do you think you, are you going to ramp up more on the publishing side or do you have plans? Uh, yeah. For- the idea is to do um, one or two books a year. And I mean, that ought to be easy for the next few years because of the backlog. But the, the book that you guys are talking about, the Paul McDonough sightseeing book, is very small, and that's the kind of book um, I want to continue making. In fact, I probably, you know, there might be some exceptions, I'm sure there will, but I'd like every book to actually be exactly the same as that one, format-wise, so that if you put them next to each other on it's a, a bookshelf. It's a nice library. Yeah, um, yeah. And just have the covers be different colors. But I, I have this, my friend Peter, we talked about earlier, gave me, one of my favorite photographers is Harry Callahan, and Peter gave me this great little book that Pace McGill did of uh, Callahan. Um, I think there's 12 images in it. Anyway, 
it's so great because you can remember every picture in it. And so the way you think about the book is sort of very, it's like you're all in, in a way. And you can keep the whole thing in memory. Right. As and you so go when I made Paul's book, I set out my sort of mandate to myself was to make a book where when you got to the end, you'd remember the first picture. Mm. Um, so I, I think of these, the books I want, the series I want to do as, for the most part, being no more than 20 images. Just really, really tight edits of um, either a body of work or many bodies of, you know, a few from, if, you know, I have, you know, some artists who you could so easily combine different series without it feeling jarring. Of course, it's not jarring if it's a huge monograph, but that could be jarring in a smaller book. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it would feel more like a catalog or something right, rather than right. But I have some artists who you could really easily do that, and um, so I really want to do this, and I hope I do. I think I will. I found the process so unbelievably fun, you know. So just as I've already said, I like to have fun. <laughs> I always joke around when I say that because it's like. If you ever look at, you know, like in the old days it was personal ads, now it's online dating, like profiles. Yeah. There's always like, loves to have fun. Right. <laughs> and it's Sunsets, like, who doesn't love to, wait a second, is there anyone who doesn't love to have fun? Walks on um, the beach, publishing books, you know. Right. <laughs> loves to laugh. Yeah. I, I, I always wanted to write one that was like, hates laughing, hates having fun. Right. Anyway, I mean... I really loved the process of making the book, and I'd like to do more of them because I think, you know, a small little book is, is I really believe in that format, and I'd like to do more of them because it was just a great way to spend time. Yeah, I mean, I should point out that a number of your photographers or, or already have other books yeah, published, so it's not like, you know, but that this would be something different or yeah, special because yeah. it's coming out from, from yeah. you and from the gallery, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean... I, I am known as a ruthless editor, so within when I'm putting up a show, I can sort of get away with it because it's my show, my gallery. Mm. Um, and when I do my own books, like with sightseeing, I could get away with it. You know, when my artists are doing books with other publishers, I get in there and I do my edit and I contribute as much as I'm allowed to. But I, I'm never allowed to, I, I never get away with being as ruthless as I'd like to be, mm. you know. <laughs> to me, there's always like 50% too many images, you know. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a less is more person. I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm the most spontaneous person, you know. I think I'm more on the sort of deliberate side. So I think that that, that sort of smaller book suits someone like me who and I think there's a lot of people like me so it's made for that you know it's made for everyone but I certainly do think it suits a certain type of viewer looker a looker certain type of looker <laughs> yeah well, someone who's going to spend a little more time on each page perhaps and, but look we all have yeah. different brain circuitry mm-hmm. ca- so it's not about right or wrong I mean I have a very close friend who um, likes to write with the radio on that is so alien to me i like i can't even think with the radio on now i like the radio but the idea of doing something let alone creating something else while i'm listening to someone talking is so hard to understand but this is we we all so it's not right or wrong i mean some people like to experience 
more and they go through it at, like their pace is different. It's just different. You know, th this is what I try and always think about when I'm putting up shows and everything I do is, you know, as we said, you can't please everyone, but just being sort of respectful and cognizant of the fact that it's not bad or good. It's just that we all sort of mm -hmm. take things in so differently. Yeah, I think there's, uh, especially now in publishing in the photo book world, there's so many books coming out. And, you know, if I go to like Dashwood and pick up random books and start looking through them, there's a lot, there's a trend of thick books that are mostly bound portfolios where you could take half the pictures out and it wouldn't really make a difference because it's more just the experience of, oh, here's, you know, 50, 100, whatever photographs. And you can tell that they're not tightly edited and that it's it's a it's almost more like a zine kind of uh, throwaway experience and it it makes sense to that you would be interested in doing something more deliberate than that and to have something more concise and more like a, a jewel you know so we're recording on july 8th uh and the final closing is july 22nd 22nd yeah so what's that night no no going? so we close the gallery on the 16th oh okay. and i mean that's that's when the show ends that's up now i'm um i love the show that we're ending on it's this sasha rudensky uh which has been getting a lot of oh got a lot of great press, a lot of great press nice. yeah. um so well well let a week go by and and i have a lot of just sort of moving stuff to do just manual labor that sort of thing and then on the 22nd, I have a great garden. This is one of the fabulous perks of my space. Um, I've lived in New York my whole life, and I finally got some outdoor <laughs> space. Um, so we'll have one last blowout because that, that garden's been uh, very good to uh, the Sasha Wolf gallery crowd. Mm. Uh, many a beer has been consumed <laughs> back there. So... We've got a, a couple cases of, of uh, PBR. We'll definitely <laughs> have to get some more. Um, and yeah, just, uh, you know, friends of the gallery, uh, artists and sort of the, the there's, a, there's definitely a community and that's who's been invited. And I hope that I can maintain that community and, and be really remiss if we finished talking and I didn't make that clear that I'm, I'm thinking long and hard about, God, if you guys only knew what I was really thinking about, because <laughs> I'm, I have some really big ideas that if I can pull off, we'll be, we'll be, um, sounds like we need a second episode down yeah, the road. Well, let's yeah. see if I can pull it off because yeah. this, this is, this would be a lot of, going, you know, a lot of out of the frying pan into the fire, which I keep doing, by the way. Like, I just, um, my mom asks me why I don't, you know, at some point, you know, make a change that makes things easier. But that's like a question a mom would ask. Yeah, though, right? I know. <laughs> so I am, I am actually formulating a plan and I think it'll be very hard to pull off, but it is about community, our community and keeping our community intact while continuing to really promote the kind of work that I think the three of us feel very strongly about and that I do feel is very underrepresented now institutionally. So whatever happens, I will continue to, to you know, whether I host monthly hangouts here for the gang or whatever it is, there's definitely a great community of people who I absolutely love 
interacting with and there it's so multi-generational you know so from the i feel like i can't name names okay if i start at the high end they might they might get mad at me but there are some great people as you we all know sitting here who are a little bit older, <laughs> who are sort of the, the elder statesmen. And then, you know, and then there are some great, great young people in their, you know, early 20s making great work and very much a part of this community. And so I think it's important to keep keep the community together. And look, there's plenty of other places to do that, by the way. Aperture, you know, whatever. I'm not camera club, you know. But I feel like, I feel like I've had a little bit of... I've done a little bit there of, of keep of having of bring people together, and I, I do want to continue and whatever. Yeah, I would I also add that you're one of the people that I run into at other shows yeah. and exhibitions, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Where it's you know it's, you're not just holed up here. And, no, no, no. I yeah. go out. Yeah, you go out. I see. I run into you and Peter at yeah, all these yeah. events. We, we, and, yeah. we travel. Exactly. <laughs> we travel, and I, I mean that's part of it. Is I love to support like you know friends, colleagues who are doing doing, doing good things. Nice. Look, I went yeah. to a friend's gallery a couple weeks ago and bought a piece, you know, uh-huh. of a young artist who I I think is going to be important and. Whether he's important or not, whatever, I love the work. I have a modest collection that's, I, you know, I live with work. It's all over my walls. Love it. It's the mm. most important thing to me. So, you know, I love going out. You said you were, you've been here all your life. You're living in Manhattan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I live on the Upper West Side. Okay. And, and, oh, let me ask. So when your mother asks you, why don't you make things easier, what do you tell her? That would be too easy. <laughs> <laughs> I tell her it's not my nature. Right. <laughs> she knows my nature better than anyone else. Yeah, no doubt. So. Well, Sasha, thank you so very much. It's been great thank you to guys. be able to sneak in here and uh, meet with you and have this conversation. And uh, we look forward to to the next chapter and what goes on after this. Thank you so yeah, much. this was great. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>